Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and joining me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today on the podcast, uh, we got a lot of emails. Probably more emails than we've ever received in a given week. Probably like 100 emails <laughs> about what makes a dad movie and whether or not a dad movie is, in fact, a pejorative. I, I do um, like to think that our listeners really have the pulse in what's most important in the world right now. I'm glad we're going to settle this once and for all <laughs> on this so episode. A lot, of pe- a lot of people wrote into slashfilmcast at gmail.com uh, with their opinions. We're going to read uh, a few of them, react to them. And uh, then we're going to move on into what we've been watching before concluding with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing Palm Springs, the new movie on Hulu, uh, starring Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti. Uh Should be a lot of fun to talk about that movie with you guys. So let's get into it. One announcement I have before we get to the emails is uh, Devendra Hardwar and I are finally doing a live event. Um, <laughs> we are doing a live commentary of the John Woo film Face Off. Yeah, this, this is two decades in the making, let me yes. just say. This Thursday, July 23rd at 5.30 p.m. Pacific time, we are teaming up with Griffin Newman from the Blank Check podcast, as well as uh, CYA.live, which is the name of the website that is uh, running the event, and doing a live commentary. We're going we're gonna to watch Face Off, talk about it, going to be some other cool thing, things happening as well, uh, and all proceeds. You, you need to buy a ticket to actually come to this online event. All proceeds uh, will benefit the MPTF, the Motion Picture and Television Fund, which is here to provide assistance to the broader entertainment industry during this difficult time. Um, so uh, again, uh, cya.live, we'll, we'll link to uh, the event in the show notes. Um, but yeah, it's a live face-off commentary. You can buy tickets. Again, uh, proceeds go to this awesome charity. And uh, it's going to be me, Devendra, and Griffin Newman. Now, I know you're, what your first question is, is where's Jeff Kanata? Right? Why is Jeff Kanata not making it? <laughs> and the answer is that um, Face Off is a movie that is too good for Jeff Kanata's kind of yeah. uh, taste palette, right? I, I only watch for, I only watch know? dad movies. That's my own, that's my rule now. <laughs> it's a legit dad movie too. Come only on. watch Come dad on. movies. Well, it's because um, it's because he's performing dad duties. Uh, I am doing so, performing dad so duties. He'll yes. be performing dad duties. He cannot make it. <laughs> my wife literally said to me tonight. Uh, <laughs> Just tell me. Just tell me you don't have anything planned for Thursday night, right? <laughs> I was like, "That's right, honey. I I do not. Yeah, you, totally yep. free. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, so we are. We will be sad to not have Jeff at this CYA dot live event. Uh, but uh, I am excited because uh, it, it is not an exaggeration to say that Face Off is one of the movies that Devendra and I first bonded over before we even started the Slash Film Cast over twelve years ago. Um, so it feels like the whole thing is coming full circle. Yeah. Um, All it took was for, uh, yeah, everything to fall apart in society, but yeah. we're doing it, baby. But we're finally doing it. So we're really happy to Griffin and to Paramount for extending the invitation. I will say that Face Off is the movie in my life that I have probably seen more times than any other film ever. Oh, wow. Um, so I think I've seen Face Off like <laughs> probably like 14 or 15 times, uh, but I know, like, some people are like, well, 14 or 15, that's not that many. I get it. I get it. I don't watch movies that many times. But for me, it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a pretty lot. good. So, yeah. Happy to revisit it. 
And again, we'll link to uh, the event in the show notes, but it is at cya.live. And we hope people can uh, join us on Thursday because it will be a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, So let's get into emails. Last week on the Slash Filmcast, Jeff Kanata brought up the movie Greyhound and talked about whether or not... uh, Or or I brought up the fact that it's a great dad movie and then Jeff was uh, miffed. Shall we say? Perturbed. I wasn't. Yeah. He was perturbed. He was uh, (laughs) flummoxed. He was bemused. Uh, You know, um, so anyway. None of those things, actually. I, I, uh, I. Nonplussed. That's the word I was looking for. Nonplussed. I believe what happened is that I just asked you to define that term, uh, agreed it had the characteristics that you uh, uh, would, would have, uh, Listed as making that classification, but then I also said, "Well, you sounds like you, you know, you're kind of dissing on the movie." And then the conversation was, "No, no, no, we weren't dissing them. There's no, it's not a pejorative." And I went, "Oh, because it didn't seem like you were excited to hear about this movie when you classify it that way." And then that's when the discussion happened. I wasn't upset. I wasn't perturbed. I even said specifically, "I'm not offended." I just interpreted your dismissal as such as a dismissal as a oh this movie is sort of uh it's surprising you would be talking about this jeff because it seems like something not worth watching uh was how i interpreted oh the dad movie so let me characterize the emails that we received we received dozens (laughs) upon dozens of emails about this uh and i would say 90 percent of them uh, were probably on Jeff's side in acknowledging that it was a pejorative. A lot of people said that uh, they didn't uh, think that my analogy comparing dad movie to rom com was adequate. They thought that's probably true. They thought yeah. that like a uh, chick flick was the better term. Um, yeah, pro- a pro- put down pro- term. Literally twenty people probably said chick flick is a better comparison than romantic comedy or rom com, which is a bad term um, that should not be used anymore. But yes. Yeah. Um, so now I will say uh, my guess is a lot of those people probably were dads. So there is some self-selection <laughs> bias there. Uh, it's like but... it's like Jeff sent out the dad bat signal and everybody <laughs> just came to it. <laughs> I emails... don't know about that. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's that's potentially true. But I don't know. I don't think that's no. dads. Jeff, well, Jeff, Jeff, you won. You won the email game. Let me just say. Wow. Yeah, yeah but you guys are saying it was just because. Uh, <laughs> I have some sort of dad army. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not like you have a massive social media presence, Jeff, with tons of fans who love you. (laughs) All of them have to have children. That's my one requirement for the fan club Mm -hmm. is uh, you be a dad or you're out. Email such as this one from Justin, and please let us know where you're writing in from in the future. But Justin writes into slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Quote, it is mind-boggling that Dave and Devendra can't at least see how dad movie could be considered derisive. I can tell that somehow they have not picked up on the negative connotations, but many people do see it as pejorative. Even the article Dave reads from paints a picture of an unsophisticated person who just wants to see some action and honor from a male protagonist. It is the description of a dullard. Perhaps Devendra and David are hung up on the fact that they happily enjoy plenty of dad movies, and therefore it must not be a negative term. I think the phrase is comparable to the term popcorn movie. While we can all enjoy a good popcorn movie and not everyone sees it as a negative label, to call a film such definitely implies a shallow experience with a lot of fast and pretty images, end quote. Uh, 
I, I like this email just because it uses the word dullard, which I don't dullard. think I've heard since elementary school. That's that a good word. It's a and good so word. Perfect. Perfectly applied here. <laughs> we got to bring that, that is, word back. You know, I think that is the I think that is the implication. The dad movie is for dullards. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the implication. I would if we're going to if we're going to do this all over again, <laughs> because this movie, just, this email just defined popcorn movie, you know, as something that is kind of negative, too. I don't know if that's necessarily true. But okay, okay. I I would I think that the popcorn movie, yes, is something I think most people would define as being something where you can zone out, you can barely pay attention. It just flashes yeah. in front of your perception, and you don't have to really, you know, it it, it it's uh it's shallow as as the emailer says. It's a shallow experience. Well, Michael Zhang writes in with his definition of a dad movie. Uh, Michael Zhang says. I've been called out myself for liking dad movies, so here's my criteria for what a dad movie is. And he has a list of bullets here, okay? Bullet one. This one's good. A classic hero who reflects prototypical American values, even if the film takes place prior to America's existence, like Braveheart, or is about non-Americans like Darkest Hour or Letters from Iwo Jima. Typically a male, a family man with a wife and or children, strong sense of moral righteousness, justice, and rugged individualism, typically not very morally complex. I'm thinking Tom Hanks' teacher-soldier in Saving Private Ryan. Bullet point two, historical period setting. Frequently a war, but could be any period of adversities. Oftentimes, dad films are nostalgic for perceived bygone era of American exceptionalism, heroic masculine virtues, and glorification of war and triumph over enemies. Bullet point three, few or no important female characters. If they exist, it's usually a supporting wife or a neglected wife character whose pivotal scene is some sort of big argument with her husband, rarely passes the Bechdel test. Bullet point four, happy ending where the heroes triumph over adversity. Ending typically reaffirms values of family, sacrifice, heroism, or honor. Uh, Bullet point five, sacrifice. Either the protagonist or one or a few of the supporting characters sacrifices himself in order to save someone for the greater good. Think about Saving Private Ryan or Armageddon. And bullet point six, camaraderie. An unlikely group of guys finds friendship and brotherhood over the course of the movie and bond over guy stuff, which makes a sacrifice that one or some of them make at the end all the more poignant. Not all dad films meet all these criteria, but I think if you hit at least half of them, it's probably a dad movie. Uh, a few off the top of my head. Armageddon, Braveheart, Saving Private Ryan, Fury, First Man, Apollo 13, Remember the Titans, Bridge of Spies, American Sniper, Argo, Gladiator. I say this all in good spirits as a lover of dad films myself. Among this list are some of my favorite movies. Hope this helps, but I assume it probably reflects exactly <laughs> a lot of the other replies you guys are getting, end quote. That's from Michael. Um, Jeff, what do you think about that definition? I think that's fair. I think those are those are a pretty well reasoned argument, and and even in our original conversation last week, as you guys outlined what you considered a dad movie, I I thought that was a fair summation of, right, of what right. the criteria are for you. I wasn't arguing about the definition. I I was merely saying that that sort of implies something that was a pejorative. That's all. But even in that list of descriptions I read, right? I don't yeah. know that. And those, again, those are I think, all great movies. Yeah. The, I, I, first of all, I, I think I was very clear, and I, I, um, <laughs> I still stand by it that "dad movie" is at best a neutral term, right? I think a lot of people pointed out that like any term that uses the term "dad" is generally uh, derisive. Dad although, bod, although, l- dad let me jokes, just say, you know? let me just say, this was the week, guys, of Zac Efron's dad bod, and the response to that. <laughs> It's not great. So yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how you can still take that position, Dave, when you acknowledged a 90-10 split. I know you you uh, minimized that by saying that it was all dads who responded, which I, I think I think we could look at the data and find that that's actually not the case. But uh, 
I don't know how you, how you can maintain that position in the face of a 90 10 oh, split. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. If, oh, yeah. If, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. If you're let's, using... just bend, let's just bend to public pressure no matter what it is. Jeff, how about that? Well, how about that? I, let's just bend, bend to, to whatever pressure. people are saying. You're, I, <laughs> oh my goodness! I don't want to. I don't want to get into a, a a real real discussion here. But it is, you know, if if there are people, if ninety percent of the people have a reaction to a term you use, don't haven't we decided in this modern progressive age that we will yeah, alter yeah. our way of speaking so that that, that, that is unfortunately how like yeah the structure of language works and changes so you are you are correct jeff i feel like i i, I will concede a little that it is a negative term i don't think when i use it though especially like the way i describe things like i describe dumb movies that a lot of, you know i know certain people wouldn't like or i describe movies that i like for very specific reasons not necessarily that they're bad um, but I did use the word dumb, so whatever. Call it whatever you want. But also, Dave, well, if you're well, having, well, Jeff, a, if, I'm not. If, I can I can say we won't use that term anymore on the podcast, you know, and then still believe in my heart what I believe in my heart, you know. So that which <laughs> is, by like, the way, you're currently like the Liam plan. Neeson, Dave, at the end of <laughs> Silence, just like just like holding holding your truth to yourself while yeah imprisoned. <laughs> I'm saying if if the purpose of language is to communicate. What you're communicating is something that you clearly don't intend. Oh yeah, right? yeah. no, a so, acknowledge, acknowledge, Jeff, and you can consider <laughs> the term "dead movie" uh, stricken from the record, unless I actually am trying to use it as a pejorative. How about exactly? That? I, I don't think I'm not saying it's an unusable <laughs> term. It's not off the limits or off yeah, the table. Yeah. I'm saying that when I hear you say, "Oh, oh, a dad movie," I go, "Oh, I guess Dave thinks less of this film." Yeah, and I think ninety okay. percent of the people agree with me that yeah, when you hear that term, you go, "Oh, this is something that I can take less seriously well, than other." Well, movies. let me tell you, Jeff. The reason I didn't take that movie very seriously is that it came out of nowhere. It just <laughs> appeared on Apple TV Plus, directed by somebody who I've never heard of. So yeah. it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't. Should I care about this? Because so many direct to streaming movies are just a complete waste of time. So that's why I didn't care initially. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. No, that's why I was I was well, very surprised by it as well. I didn't honestly didn't have super high hopes for it, uh, but I put it on and and was pleasantly surprised. And I can't wait to hear what you think of it. I know, Dave, you've, you've seen it this week. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, Devendra, that this uh, experience of watching movies that come out of nowhere and are directed by people you haven't heard of is likely to continue with great intensity in the months to come. And um, I always want that's them the to world be good. we live in now. Yes, yeah. that's the world we live in now. So um, I would but guys, get used to I just it. read that 20th Century Fox says that uh, that uh, The King's Man is coming out in September only in theaters. Oh, man. That's Gotta amazing. That's amazing. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, Jeff. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I I understand that if I'm if I'm uh, using the term dad movie, I'm stepping on a metaphorical landmine from now on, Jeff, and uh, I will proceed accordingly. Do you see how you I slipped that Jeff, landmine that reference means, in there? It just yeah. means we're going to use it more. Like it just means we're going <laughs> to poke more fun at you, Jeff. Yeah. So. Yeah. I really enjoyed reading the uh, the Slack film cast uh, because uh, this this topic was was hotly debated there, and and they went on of a tangent of what's a mom movie. Right? What would a mom movie be? And people were trying to come up with mom movies, um, to which I almost posted uh, Mamma Mia is the perfect mom movie, right? Yeah. Isn't that a perfect mom movie? Perfect yeah. mom movie. A lot of Nora Ephron movies, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my favorite summary of what a dad movie is, you know, Michael Zhang articulated like pretty well some of the common components, but this 
uh, listener summed it up so uh, succinctly. Kent wrote in. Uh, he wanted to offer his thoughts on what a dad movie was. And he says, quote, In my view, the majority of dad movies can be summed up by the simple phrase, and it turned out he was right the whole time. Yes. To, that's to explain, it. I recently like had dads. A, I recently had a huge moment of realization about, about why my own dad was such a hard ass for most of my life. We're very close, but I was often irritated with him for constantly lecturing me on why I was doing something the wrong way or why some activity was especially dangerous. I am now a dad myself and have come to understand that much of being a dad is composed of you warning your family against certain things, them ignoring you, and then you cleaning up the resulting mess when it inevitably goes horribly wrong. This behavioral pattern then perpetuates itself because you have just reinforced the incentive structure for your family to largely ignore your warnings and without repercussions to them. Of course, we put up with this in, our, in part because we love our families, but mostly because we are just too exhausted to break the cycle. Yes. A dad movie is one which scratches that itch, as we uh, <laughs> we have as dads, where we can point to the screen like a raving lunatic and say, see, this is what I've been saying. Nobody listened to him either, and it turned out he was right the whole time. This, this, is, this response is perfect. Uh, it deserves the Shia LaBeouf clapping. clapping indeed. This, like, yes. So say we all. Standing ovation. It really is, you know, if you think of the comic book movie as the ultimate power fantasy for teenagers, where it's like, they don't realize what's inside of me, right? A superhero movie is, I have a secret identity. Sure, I may be a mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet now. I may be just a science kid that gets picked on by Flash Thompson now. But what's inside of me is super heroic. If only I could put on the mask and show everyone that's that's why comic books worked for kids and teens and why superhero movies work for kids and teens is because it's the ultimate <laughs> wish fulfillment yes. of what you feel like inside the angsty teen that doesn't understand just if everybody just knew what it was like inside me and this the dad movie this is exactly the same thing exactly the same thing nobody in my life listens nobody in my life uh <laughs> pays attention when I tell them to do the thing and I'm too exhausted they're just beating me down and if they only knew I was right the whole time I'm behind this one I'm behind this definition 100% yeah um, no, not notable about this definition uh, doesn't seem like it's pejorative there Jeff but just, anyway uh, Jeff do you have an example of uh, a time in which uh, you feel like you've been right the whole time how about tonight and every night since I became a dad <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, so, I, just, I just had a screaming argument with my son. He mostly the one screaming, although I wanted to, uh, you know, with uh, the toy that he left outside and it got all wet from the sprinklers. And I told him to bring it in. Uh, I told him to bring it in. I told him that was going to happen. And daddy, daddy, why did it happen? Well, if you had listened to me before when I told you to bring the toy in from the lawn, but daddy, why didn't you do it? I'm not picking up your toys after you. I told you to pick up the toy and now it's ruined forever. Forever. And whose fault is that? Yours, because you didn't listen to me. I'm watching a movie about a submarine. Go away. <laughs> let me let me just say the the movement towards this dad attitude is countered with the desire not to become your dad. This goes very mm. like, yeah, we get we gotta balance it all over here. So uh, this is what we're going through, and that is why I still love these movies, even though I, it could be a pejorative term. Or, yeah. or, or, or to want to, or you know, wanting to become your dad and never being able to. Another dynamic yes. there. Yes, that's, that's I, the basis uh, of a lot of movies. By the way, I've said a long time for a long time that the older I get, the writer my dad was. <laughs> 
It's yeah. fascinating, though. It's fascinating, this desire, right, for wanting your child to see that you're right the whole time is tr- then transposed onto, like, hey, I, you know, this is why Tom Hanks was right to go hard right rudder in Greyhound, you know? Um, <laughs> where It's, like, a very minor thing, but then seeing it transposed into kind of life-or-death situation is very cathartic, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got you to gotta go with your gut sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Dad gut. It's it's prodigious <laughs> and, and getting larger by the day. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. All right. Well, thanks to everyone for writing in your opinions about what makes a dad movie. Uh, those are really fun to read. And again, you can always write into us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Hey, I just want to hop in here and tell you about our sponsor, which is my toothbrush, Quip. We are a three Quip household right now. I have one. My wife has one. My eldest son has one, and my only son, my eldest child has one. My daughter, a little too young yet, but she will have one when the time comes because Quip has improved all of our lives immensely. I tell you, before Quip, I don't think I ever brushed for the dentist recommended two minutes. I I have to confess, that's just true. I just get bored and, and impatient and I stop. But with Quip... I get that wonderful sonic care. I get the vibrations, the gentle bristles. I get the perfect mouth feel for a toothbrush. And I get it timing me, giving me 30 second pulses and turning itself off after two minutes. That means since I started using my Quip, which has been, I mean, over a year now, I think, I have always gone for the recommended two minutes and I always can just let my mind wander. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry. It just turns off when it's done, which is wonderful. Also, I am subscribed to my Quip, which means in the mail, I get a new brush head. I get a new battery and I get new toothpaste every dentist recommended three months. I can't even tell you when I used to brush regularly with a normal toothbrush, I would probably use that toothbrush for a year with tired, worn out, ugly bristles that are all flat and pressed down. I bet if you walked into your bathroom right now and looked at your toothbrush, it it is not fit for your mouth. It doesn't have to be that way. You can have the awesome experience of a Quip and the subscription, which gives you a new brush head. Oh, how wonderful it is to clip on that new brush head, feel fresh bristles, and know that you're actually giving yourself the kind of oral care that you deserve, and that is actually useful. Do it. We want you to experience this like 3 million happy customers have already done, practicing good oral care easily and affordably with Quip starting at just 25 bucks. And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill for free at getquip.com slash Filmcast. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Quip, the good habits company. Before we get to what we've been watching, I also feel the need to mention that uh, there was some movie news today. Christopher Nolan's Tenet uh, has now been delayed indefinitely. It was originally supposed to launch on August 12th. Um, but they have now delayed it indefinitely. They said they're going to share a new release date uh, imminently, uh, according to <laughs> Warner Brothers. And uh, a few thoughts on this. First of all, yes, a lot, a lot of people saw this coming. Obviously, the United States does not have this 
under control. It's it's interesting to kind of think about the fact that like our reward as a country for managing this pandemic well would have been seeing Tenet. <laughs> but it's nice. kind of perfect. We, yeah. But we messed it up. We messed it up. We are and farther from seeing Tenet now than we were at the beginning of this. <laughs> in I, my it's prediction. so <laughs> wild. And obviously we're hearing reports from people coming at us from other other parts of the world that are like, hey, they, they, you know, uh, New Zealand, Taiwan, uh, other countries are having like sporting events where you can like go to these events, thousands of people unmasked, like no masks or anything, you know, and it's just like, well, it's, uh, it's a huge bummer. It's a huge bummer that uh, we had such a lack of uh, appropriate leadership. And then also on top of that, people insist on not uh, doing the bare minimum of trying to care for each other and wear masks uh, when they go out in public. Um, but here, here's where we are. And so uh, Christopher Nolan's tenant has been delayed. And this is why we can't have nice things. This is why yeah. we can't have nice things. But also, um, th- uh, there basically, the summer movie season is is pretty much essentially canceled this year. Like, there was still the possibility uh, with Tenet coming out that we would still have, like, oh, hey, there's one big blockbuster and we still have, you know, but it's it's basically over now. There's no not going to be a summer movie season. Um, and as a podcast... And probably that, won't be a fall movie season either. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's fun. And as a podcast that, that generally gave a lot of attention to the summer movie season, I just felt like we should acknowledge that, that like, hey, this is the official kind of nail in the coffin of the summer movie season. It's over. Uh, and uh, that's sad. And I just want to acknowledge that before we get to... What we've been watching, which yeah. uh, is going to be stuff we've been watching at home because we're not going to theaters right now. And the idea so, yeah. that anybody, that they're going to pack movie theaters in September, it just is is insane to me. You know, like, <laughs> I, I think we're going to be doing stories on this podcast in a few months about the bankruptcy of movie theater chains. And it's, it's all going to be really sad. And it could have been entirely avoided. Mm-hmm. As we've seen, as you said, uh, in other countries. And of course, anytime I mention this on Twitter, well, but the population of those countries is so different. Fucking shut up. <laughs> <laughs> you okay, Wear the mask. No, the mask. I'm not okay, dude. I'm yeah. not okay. Yeah. I'm not okay. I'm I mean, so I mean, far from okay. It's ridiculous. I just want to I want to acknowledge like even countries that have handled this well aren't necessarily opening up movie theaters because a movie theater is like a really high risk location. It's a very dumb idea. Right? It's a very dumb sitting, idea. Where you're sitting inside mm-hmm. um, with like, and the air is not necessarily recirculating that quickly and there's just a lot of people like breathing. Um, I, you know, so I'm sure there's many countries that have been able to manage the movie theater okay, but like it's a specifically high risk location, unfortunately, given the current pandemic. So yeah. uh, it, it's a bummer. But yes, I, I agree that uh, we could have been in a much different and better situation and we're not. Um, and kind of the the fate of Tenet has kind of been a proxy by which we can measure how well this country is doing with regards to the pandemic. Um, so I, I agree with you, Jeff, that that's kind of in our future of like covering what's happening in the, the film industry. And uh, and it will be said, and I'm, I'm very apprehensive about what, what lies ahead with regards to theatrical film going. You know, I don't yeah. know. It, um, seems, it seems dire. It seems mm-hmm. very uh, dire. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be any light at the end of this tunnel, man. It's really wild. It's, yep. I mean, yep. well, listen, today we guys, we got some good news out of Oxford, I believe. Like, things could be happening. Maybe we'll get a vaccine or something, something to help. But, yeah, the idea of going to movies and being in a crowded place uh, doesn't seem great. I saw some concept art of this, uh, this like, projected future 
theater in Paris that looked like it put people on pods. Yeah. Uh, separated. It looked like the Galactic were, Senate from yeah. episode one yeah. or two it, or whatever that was. It yeah. looked like the Opera House, too, like the Opera House they go to in Revenge of the Sith. Um, it looks creepy and sci-fi. Who knows? Maybe that could be the sort of thing. We're basically building isolated um, drive-in chambers. You know, it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our future. Well, At that anyway. point, like, what's what's the point of going to a movie? You know, we all have home theaters anyway. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, part... I've I've been thinking on that a lot lately. What 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 is the draw mm-hmm. of going into right. a movie theater? It's the communal experience, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, I I guess I'm old enough to have gone to drive-ins and that is a completely different experience, but it was an experience that sort of predated home movie watching, right? There was no right, there right. was it was predated VHS machines, <laughs> uh VCRs, you know. It, it was it was um it was a unique, it, it was a way to make out with your, your, <laughs> your date, you know, that's what the drive-in was. So I, I get that there's been a precedent for it, but it's a little bit different now when we all have these home theaters. I'm, I will be really sad not to go to a, a, a movie theater, but it's because I enjoy the size and scale of the movie theater, the, yeah. the level of presentation and the communal experience, watching, laughing, gasping with mm-hmm with strangers I'll, I'll tell you guys i miss these past two movies the old guard i really would have loved to see that thing with the crowd like when people were kicking ass but also palm springs i i wish i was sitting in like a tiny indie theater in new york or somewhere just somewhere just a small theater um watching this you know tremendous heartbreaking funny movie with a crowd of people who truly loved it and it's not the same home will yeah, never be the um, same as that palm springs was supposed to get a theatrical release yeah is my understanding yeah let me ask you guys this question. I know you, you you might not have a good answer for this, and that's okay. Um, but I've I've been thinking like if we could rewind life to December or January of this year, and someone could say to you, "Hey, in one month, theaters are going to be closed indefinitely." You know, like mm-hmm. is there is there anything you would have changed about what you went to see during that time, or like? Mm. it's a tough it was a tough period of, of the year too because like january february yeah. like usually not that many good movies out to begin with but like mm-hmm. i guess for me i would have really tried to see some of the more art house movies like for instance like we have this thing in seattle called the seattle international film festival they run art house movies throughout the year at the theaters that they uh they kind of run a few theaters around the city and I would have really, you know, there's so many times where I saw a movie playing there. I'm like, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I don't really feel like driving down there because um, I, I'll catch it on VOD at some point or, you know, because it's like it's like a whole thing. You got to drive. I had to drive, you know, quite a bit of time and then park and then all that stuff. And I'm like, you know, what? for a, for an indie movie, like maybe uh, obviously I did go and support sometimes, but it's like many times I did not. And now I regret those times, you know, mm, yeah. um, but it's just so guys- interesting that like to think about like. You know, we 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 never knew. We, like maybe some of us did, but I certainly didn't know that. Hey, in a few months, mm-hmm. you will not be able to see a movie for probably any time in the foreseeable future, or do anything really. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. do anything. Right. I would have not so much gone to see more movies as have bought Zoom stock. I think that would be what I would prefer <laughs> to have done. But yeah, do you guys remember the last movie we all watched in a movie theater? What was the last movie we reviewed before all this mm. went down? I think. Th- the last movie I can remember seeing in the theater was The Invisible Man. Yes. Um, that's yes. We didn't want to do one, one after that? I feel like it's we possible. did. Maybe. It's possible. I don't know. We'd have to look back, but 
That's a pretty good one to have be the last movie you ever see in a theater. It's not <laughs> Actually, a bad one I, to go out on. I specifically remember saying, writing in a piece for Engadget, that that was the last thing I saw in theaters. And yeah, if that was the last Man. movie I'd see for a couple of years, it's pretty good. Okay, I'll take it. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking back at our archives, and yeah, that was the last. The one that we, the one we did after that was like Judgment Night. We were doing our, you know, every um, two oh weeks thing. God. Then. Don't. You mean so. we reviewed Judgment <laughs> Night? Instead of going to the theater to see a good movie, okay. No, I think we. <laughs> now I'm I think really that's, angry. I think we were in the position of not being able to go out of the house at that point. That's why we did Judgment Night, yeah. isn't it? Was I it? Was it? Okay. I yeah. think that's right. Yes, correct. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, uh, not not a bad one to go out on. Not a bad one to go out on. Um, but uh, anyway, so uh, hope whatever you're doing out there when it comes to watching movies, you're staying safe, staying healthy, wearing a mask. Um, but Let's get into what we've actually been watching this week. Uh, I'll start by talking about this documentary I watched. And full disclosure, um, I know uh, one of the people who worked on the documentary, and I am collaborating with that person on uh, a project. Um, wow. But, wow. Uh, I know. It's <laughs> Dave, your co- shout-outs to your own projects are just getting crazier and crazier every episode. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean, that was pretty vague, but fair enough. Um <laughs> Anyway, the the documentary is called Game Master. It's available right now to purchase on iTunes and Prime Video and a bunch of other uh, platforms. Um, And it is a documentary about board games and the art of designing board games. And it follows four board game designers as they uh, try to make it in the industry. Uh, So again, Game Master is, I would say, uh, pleasantly diverting. Uh, It's a good overview of uh, board games and strategic board games uh, for those who are curious in the subject but don't necessarily have a lot of expertise because I think it's it's not deep enough in my opinion that like if you're ultra expert that you can really you know there's not that much to mine there that said Jeff Kanata as somebody who is really into gaming and specifically at board games I'm curious what you thought about Game Master yeah, what is your level of knowledge and interest in designer board games? I've played there. a few of them. That's my level yeah. of knowledge and interest. So I, I enjoy them. You know, I've played Settlers and I played um, Ticket to Ride and um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Code Names. You know, like I, I, I yeah. play some of these games and I, I, I'm quite a fan of them. But that's about where my expertise ends. So, well, you're right that the tenor of this documentary in general is. Uh, pretty much geared toward the layman and and it makes sense it is it is a way uh, a way in for a much wider audience that wouldn't already be steeped in designer board game culture uh but i was actually pleasantly surprised at how extensive and sort of deep and um detail oriented it is in discussing the business and the yeah yeah some of the uh, some of the challenges and some of the problems with the board gaming business as well as uh showing how people have succeeded and how rare that is and how difficult it is to make any money and how it really is a a labor of love for most of the people that are in it um that's one of the things that's striking by the way is it interviews people who have um sold tremendously successful board games right and it looks like it's interviewing them in their houses uh, and their are. houses look like quite modest. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like you, you watch like the last dance with Michael Jordan and it's like, okay, 
uh, that looks like you're in a billionaire's house, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and interviewing Michael Jordan, and you, uh, you know, are interviewing people who have sold uh, board games millions of copies, and it's like it's like a normal everyday house, and you really get the sense that even wildly successful board game designers, they're not super wealthy, right? They no. maybe some of them are, but like most of them are not maybe are not two. super wealthy, nor are they doing <laughs> it for love of money, right? Yes, and and I think that comes through. It is a beautiful look. I, you know, when the when the documentary started and it was for people that I've never heard of uh, talking about, you know, trying to design games or publish games, um, I was like, okay, I've kind of seen this before, this idea. But very quickly, the movie gets into talking to people that really matter to me as somebody that's very passionate about this hobby and knows it pretty pretty well. I mean. They talked to Eric Lang and Susan McKinley Ross and um, uh, <laughs> Reiner Knizia, who's like one of the, you know, Mount Rushmore guys, uh, board game designers. Um, they talked to Bruno Cathala. And I mean, the list goes on and on. It's it's really big board game designers that they got to sit down and, and pick their brain and talk honestly about this stuff. And then the, 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 you know, the biggest the, one, probably Klaus Tuber. Yeah, I was just going to get to that, yeah, Dave. Okay, you, sorry. You stepped on my. I, ste- stepped I, on... Stepped, I stole your thunder. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's pointless to do it now. But the idea is that <laughs> then you know there's this moment where like they're going to Germany and they're we're going to Essen and I was like, no, they're not going to they're not going to get they're not going to talk to Klaus. Are they? are not going to get Klaus to, on this. Thing. Get, Klaus isn't going to be in here, right? And then they do the coolest reveal ever, where they just show this house, and there's this guy with his back to the camera with tufts of white hair on the side and a bald head, and I was like, it's Klaus Tuber! And it, of course it was, and it was, you know... Uh, Klaus Tuber, for those who don't know, designed uh, Catan, which is probably one of the most popular board games of all time, right? It pretty much single-handedly created the entire modern board game movement right yeah. it's a it's it created the euro game sensation the spiel des Jahres had existed before settlers of Catan came out which is the first Catan game uh but it it, it was 1994 i think that game was released and it basically created what we now know as the modern designer board game culture um and and so he's sort of a rock star to people like me who care about this stuff and he's such a you know this mild-mannered german fella um, and, uh, it was interesting, you know, they talked to his sons who basically run the business now, and it really is this family business of making board games. And it's, it's, it was adorable. And so all of that stuff I ate up, like they talk at length to Eric Lang, who is just a great mind and a great guy and really knowledgeable about the industry. And all of those juicy tidbits, um, are uh, f- for me, well worth watching it for you know it, i really thought at the beginning of the documentary that it was going to be squarely aimed at at somebody who's not me who like doesn't know about these crazy new board games and all i know is monopoly and clue uh you know that's usually how mainstream board game coverage works it's like you've only no- heard about parcheesy and you know <laughs> sorry and milton bradley games but did you know there's a whole world out there and this to its credit, this Jeff, you documentary calling as a board game documentary narrator. I just want to. Point yeah, out. I guess. I guess. Yeah. Uh, to this, to this documentary's credit, it it takes it seriously and it really gets down to some nitty gritty stuff. It talks about, um, you know, uh, 
the demographic of of board game players. It it goes, you know, they go to Essen, they go to Gen Con. Uh, part of me thinks the whole thing was made so people could go all around the world and talk to these folks, and I'm jealous of it actually. Um, <laughs> You're jealous it, you didn't think of that idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. and it, yeah, and it talks. It, you know, they talk to they talk about uh, Kickstarter and how that sort of changed the way board games were were created and and uh, delivered to the consumers and. So there's lots of juicy, great stuff in it. I, I was really pleasantly surprised with how uh, deep and, and substantial it really is in, for the for the topic. Yeah, and I think the audience for this documentary is people who are interested. They've they've you know, played a few board games. They're like, I want to learn more about this industry, um, and also people who want to make board games. I would say is a really good audience for this as well, right? Like, I think it yeah. really gives a good sense of how challenging it is and all, all the challenges that you uh, are going to come up against. I think um, if one of the things uh, uh, that I think uh, the movie struggles with a little bit is that uh, it's hard to have narrative momentum in a movie like this. Like while watching this, I kind of understand why movies like this often uh, are uh, built around a specific competition. Right, mm, because yeah. it's like, oh, there's a really clear and clean narrative arc from a competition. It's like, oh, like here's who I am. Introduce myself. Like I'm preparing for the competition. Pre preparing for the competition. You watch the competition play out, and then uh, there's a result at the end. There's like an ending, denouement, uh, climax, and denouement. And it's like uh, that's a really clean narrative structure that's been done many times and this documentary unfortunately doesn't do that and so th th that's the only kind of issue i have with the documentary is like from a from a narrative momentum perspective it felt like um it wasn't really clear like what period of time i was following these people for and like whether yeah. there was any specific inflection point in their life or, you know what i mean like it, it felt a little bit um uh lacking in the momentum uh in that in that regard um, yeah, I don't so, think it's going to give like a Spellbound-esque experience right, or exactly, you know, any of the yeah. number of those kinds of movies. It, it is much more, I think, just an analysis of the industry, a snapshot yep. of where it is right now. And, and for that, I appreciated it because I care about the industry. So I don't, yeah. I don't know if, if you don't really care about board games, if it w would pull you through. Like, I don't really care about Spelling Bees, but man, Spellbound is riveting watching, you know? Right, uh, right. I don't think that that's what it's going to be but you know if you care about this nerd culture and and you know uh convention scene and and how board game where board games are now i think it does a very adequate and even uh, commendable job in uh, expressing that you can buy game master right now on video on demand i think it's like eight dollars or a, a little bit less than that to rent um i do think this is a movie that would be perfect for like a netflix streaming you know what i mean or yeah. uh, prime video streaming like if it was on streaming I think it would do really well. I hope they get that distribution. Um, and the distribution company is Gravitas, I think, which is a, a very reputable company. So, uh, yeah, I hope uh, hope things go well for them. But anyway, that's Game Master. Jeff and I both watched it. We had a pretty good time with it. If you're into board games or you're interested in making board games, which I actually think describes a significant portion of the Slash Filmcast audience, um, then you should check it out. Game Master on Video On Demand. All right. Uh, I also had a chance to watch Greyhound. Uh, which is such a dad movie. I mean, it's not a, not a, not a dad movie. I would say it's a, a, a movie that might appeal to paternalistic figures. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I, I have to say, you know, I, I got the, um, uh, the, the motivation from Jeff, right? He was very enthusiastic about it last week. And 
I mean, I, I do think it's a dad movie, but you know, what, what, whatever. I, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> I also people. agreed with you. I said based on your criteria, it it does fit your criteria. I didn't say it wasn't a dad movie. Yeah, but you, you think dad movies derisive? Anyway, I don't want to litigate it again. But suffice to say, <laughs> I think that um, it it uh, the the reason you watch a movie like Greyhound, which is about, I guess, uh, this Tom Hanks is a captain of a ship. He's trying to defend these other ships from these German U-boats in uh, in World War Two. The reason you watch this movie, uh, number one, if you want a good Hanks performance, especially a good Hanks performance during World War II, uh, this is a pretty solid one for that. There's this kind of, honestly, there's a, a religious component to it that reminded me a lot of Hacksaw Ridge, mm. uh, which it was also like very based on religion and like, hey, uh, you, you, the movie makes this connection of, oh, this guy believed in God and therefore that's why he was saved both literally and um, spiritually. Uh, I didn't get that, but okay. I, I think you know the, this is a, if you're a Christian audiences will very much appreciate this movie, and I think that um, there is this real appreciation in the movie for old school technologies, like old school naval technology, and a real kind of sense of the tactile nature of these technologies, yeah. their limits as well as what their capabilities are. So as an example, there's a guy whose job it is on the bridge to just repeat what someone tells him through a microphone, like through the through yes. his headset, right? And he, that guy needs to do that job incredibly well or else everyone on the ship is going to die, right? Yeah, and calmly and, and clearly. Yeah. And when everyone else is shouting and screaming and, and things are exploding, he's got to be calm and he needs clear to to and understandable. Thing, listen to the voice on the headset and literally just repeat what that person said. <laughs> Yes. And uh, that, that is a detail that most movies would just excise, right? right. They would just say like, well, let's, who cares about that? Let's just have the person scream it up there and the captain will hear it in the bridge, right? Why yeah. would you need to have another dude there to repeat what the guy says? That's, that character or that role, in my opinion, sums up the whole movie. Is like, it's, it's that level of detail, yeah. right? That level of... There's we're dealing with these limitations, right? That it's like, and you're seeing how these people are able to overcome the limitations and thrive and do their jobs with these limitations. Yeah, that um, dude's in the movie because that's how they really did it. Yeah, I mean, presumably, I don't know, but I assume right. that they base it off of the truth. Uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, there there is a lot to recommend. It. I, overall, I enjoyed it, and I love the fact that it was 90 minutes long. Right? You know, you gotta, that's what I said about the movie. It, there's no fat <laughs> on the bone. There's no fat. It is like... You just, you're just in it and you, you're there for one thing. Like I turned on this, this movie about a boat versus a submarine and I don't care about anything except boat versus submarine. And this movie goes, okay, I'm going to give you 80 minutes of boat versus submarine and let you be on your way. <laughs> and I just love that. Uh, yeah. Uh, and most war movies, by the way, are not 90 minutes, right? Most war movies are like two plus hours. So it's great that this is one of them that's. That just gets in and out, and it's like does its job, and you're like, that was pretty solid, pretty solid. So that's Greyhound. It's available on Apple TV Plus. I'm gonna go on a brief digression here because Devendra, you, call, you you said you'd never heard of this guy who directed this movie, so I'm just yes. gonna give a shout out, yeah, to the guy, the director of this movie, Aaron Schneider, who made a 2009 movie called Get Low, that, as far as I can tell, no one I know has seen. I remember that the the weird western. 
thing. Yeah, right? uh, this yeah. stars um uh, uh what what do you call it? Uh, what's his name? Robert Duvall, Bill Murray, and Sissy Spacek. And uh, I saw this movie at Sundance, and uh, again, it, it was it didn't like light the world on fire when it came out, but it did have one idea that I I have not been able to escape from. It did incept this idea into my brain that is this is by the way you know every one of our slash film cast has been going completely off the rails the last few weeks this is the moment when i think it's about to go off the rails right now okay because you oh, guys are gonna on, have really been strong on the rails feelings. thus far this you is guys so far <laughs> on the rails you guys are gonna have really strong feelings about what i have to say okay uh, okay i'm ready but it did it did incept into me this idea that i have repeatedly brought up and still feel strongly about that i'm gonna do myself the movie get low Stars Robert Duvall as Felix Bush, who is a hermit that lives deep in the woods. And the plot of the movie is that he shows up to a local pastor with a fat wad of cash and says he wants to have a funeral party for himself. So he wants to hold his own funeral before he's dead. And that's kind of what the movie is about. It's about him getting together this funeral. And, uh, and it's, it's weird for people to have a funeral before they're dead. And thanks for making that clear, Dave. Well, okay. I mean, you say that, but this is an idea that I am extremely attached to and that I personally, I'm going to try to figure out a way to do for myself. You have Dave. The only way to do that is to fake your own death. No, 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 We we can do that for you if you want. Just do it ahead of time. Don't you think, and I, okay. There is this, um, uh, podcast by, um, one of the guys from Freakonomics. Uh, do you know, uh, not I'm not sure if it's Stephen Dubner or the other guy, but basically here let me I'm gonna pull it up on my phone right now because I was just listening to it the other day, and uh, the, the the podcast title is No Stupid Questions. Okay, here <laughs> here is the July 5th episode title. This is from two weeks ago. the 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 title of the episode is Wouldn't it be better to hear your eulogy before you're dead? Yes, okay? of course. <laughs> this idea is catching on, is what I'm saying. Okay, it's been dude. <laughs> This has been in literature and fiction for hundreds of years. The, well, the, Jeff, the whole, the whole I, I, I haven't known of that many people to like hold funerals before they're dead. <laughs> no, but Dave, here's the trick. And this you'll learn this by reading the copious amounts of fiction based around this idea. The only way to accomplish this, this is this is the rub, right? This is the catch-22 of this situation is you can't throw your own funeral. The only way to accomplish this is to fake your own death. Why Why can't you throw your own funeral? Like, because no one says what they really want to say if they know you can hear it. Only by faking it and making them think that you can't hear it do they tell you what they actually think. That's interesting. That's interesting. You see, when yeah. my family and loved ones heard me talk about this idea, that's not the reaction that they gave. Well, uh, of course, the, you were listening. They wouldn't the, be able to tell you to your face. The reaction they gave was... Uh, Dave, that's a stupid idea. Funerals are not for the dead, they're for the living. You know? Right. And, that's and why you have to fake your own death. Yeah. So they think it's for them, but it's for you. I mean, Jeff, that, that escalated pretty quickly. But anyway, I just want to say think, I think we've just heard Jeff's plan if he ever gets incriminated for anything, a la the fugitive. Like Jeff has a plan in place. He's ready to go. I've been working on don't tell my insurance company, but I've been uh-huh. working on this. Required. No, that's that's the rub, right? Is if you're standing there, people will say the nice things and they'll say the nice things that you they would maybe say at your funeral, but you will never know what they would really say. You never know what it would really be like if they thought you were actually dead. 
So you have to make them think you're actually dead. That's the only way. Well, Jeff, uh, going to agree to disagree with you there. This and is your screenplay, even, Jeff. Do it. And, and Do I, it. I think even if, um, even if it wasn't quite perfect, like yes, you you wouldn't get what people really think, but you'd get a reasonable approximation. I think. No, it's basically just a birthday party where everyone stands yeah. up and says a, a a speech. Your your funeral is is comes from a completely different place. <laughs> if people, no, I'm dude, I'm dead serious about this. If if people actually think you're dead, they say things that they would never say if they didn't actually think that. It's true, man. Yeah, it's I, true. I, I, I don't. I, I think you're right about that. I'm you're, not, I'm not... you're talking about a glorified birthday party when everyone gives a toast to to the man <laughs> of honor. You know, that's nice. That's lovely. It's sweet, but it ain't no funeral. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Um, I, I didn't know you felt so strongly about this, but that's good to know. That's good to know. Well, it feels like you have not really considered the ramifications of what you want. It I, I feels do like you're not more... all in on this plan, Dave. Dave, <laughs> what are you so excited about about this idea? Because I do think like, yeah, it, it would be like a graduation party or a very big birthday party or something like that. Otherwise. Or a wedding. Yeah. People said nice things at your wedding. I was there. I know. <laughs> uh, well, I, I just, here, here's basically why i have any attachment to this at all is that i think that whenever i see funerals i just think oh my gosh it's so sad like this happens online right now you know when when a major celebrity passes away and it's twitter is just inundated with all these like reflections and i'm just like it is so sad that the person didn't get to see this like when they were still alive and I i just don't agree with you that people wouldn't be willing to share those things if there was an opportunity to do so so, they have to think. They have to. Th- here's 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 what I'll, we're talking about this way longer than we should. But here's the thing. <laughs> Disagree. When I when I had my when I had my eye thing last yes. year. Yes. I think that's the closest I've gotten to that. But I th- and I think if you get like I mean this is horrible to say, but if you get some you know disease or if you get if there's a horrible thing that happens to you, then people will say the thing because they really think they may not get another chance to do this. But yeah. if you're just saying, hey, I'm throwing a party and the theme is my funeral, you're not really going to get the truth, man. You're not really going to get it. <laughs> well, I disagree. A couple things. Uh, I mean, we got to move on. But I'll just say that uh, the idea being that if you go to this thing, you are therefore absolved from attending the actual funeral. You know? Mm. So it's kind of like, a, all right, there's, there's, really, there's, there's some stakes attached to this. And also... I, <laughs> also, yeah. you're, still, you're still throwing an actual funeral, though? You're just uh, absolving people <laughs> from attending it? Yeah, I mean, he's just like dumped in the ocean at this point. Maybe just like maybe <laughs> just like nu- nuclear family or something like that. But uh, suffice to say, Jeff, just like with the dad movie thing, you and I gotta agree to disagree on this one. Okay, uh, but the, the movies that we were just talking about were Get Low and uh, Greyhound, and I actually saw one of the movie this week, but I'm gonna have to save that for later because we're already going way too long on my stuff. I just wanted, I just was worried that you would think that we would get fewer emails this week. I'm just looking out for you. <laughs> Yeah, let us know what you think about funerals in advance at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. All right, Devinder Hardwar, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I've been checking out the uh, the Perry Mason reboot that's on HBO Max right now. And uh, I'm, I'm digging it. I think uh, it's not quite the Perry Mason I think people remember. It is Perry Mason done in like a gritty noir style that's also very beautiful, but also like very gory and campy at times so it's like it's doing many many different things it stars 
Matthew Reese from The Americans, uh, who's in so many things right now. Like, this guy is going places. I'm happy for it. Um, and he basically is a younger Perry Mason. So before he becomes the sort of, like, swaggering attorney from the TV show, right now he's a down-and-out detective. He is still, he is a former defense attorney, but he's basically doing detective work um, around Los Angeles in the 30s. And it's really... It's interesting. It reminds me of, uh, you know, just like traditional detective shows. It's very noir. He uh, it's he has, you know, a, a fedora. He gets into scraps like any true detective does. He's very quippy. I think Matthew Reese is very good in this. Um, and he's surrounded by good, some good, good people, too. Like, um, great cast all around. Let me just pull this up because I am losing it right now. I was wondering if that show would be worth watching. I, I was tempted to start it a couple of times. I think it's worth watching, but there's just, you know, I don't think it's perfect. I think it has some problems and it's growing through things. Uh, John Lithgow's in it as sort of, um, he is the mentor guy. He's the guy giving Perry Mason work. Um, and uh, Tatiana Maslany is in it as well from, uh, from, Sorry, my brain is freezing up all around. Uh, right Orphan now. Black? Orphan Black. There we go. There we go. Orphan Black. Are you okay? <laughs> well, it's very late. And we just spent 15 minutes talking about fake funerals. So how do you think I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Guys. Sounds like a normal episode of the Slash Filmcast yeah. yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, sounds yeah, like a yeah. pretty normal episode. Um, I'm also trying to talk into a pillow fort, so it's very uncomfortable, and I can't even see my screen. <laughs> Not for any acoustic reason, just because yeah. Devendra loves a good pillow fort. Yeah, I'm just you know? in the pillow fort. Yeah, um, yeah. Who wouldn't? I think Who it's wouldn't? worth watching, Jeff. I would give the show at least two episodes, because it goes into, you know, I think it goes all over the place. It starts out kind of campy, like... There is a dead baby within two minutes of the show opening, hmm. and they they kind of they kind of show it. But then it, there are certain sexual acts which I think are kind of crazy, and it really shows that too. There's a point where uh, I think in the second or third episode, he is trying to like take a piece of cloth or something out of somebody's skull who has blown his head off with a shotgun, and it Oof. just like leans into the gore. Like it is all over the place in a way you wouldn't think a Perry Mason show would be. I'm digging it. Um, it's hitting a lot of like noir ticks for me. I know it's, it's, I feel like it's a little too campy at times. It's a little too overcooked because uh, he's like hard boiled. And then like, it, it just feels a little too hard boiled. Like it's a parody of noir at times, but I'm digging it so far. I hear some of the newer episodes. I am not fully caught up. I hear it like finds a good rhythm. So I'm going to stick with it for that. I've heard that it's like really, really distant uh, in terms of its depiction of the character from what we know him oh, from. Oh, yeah, it, is, it is. It's not your dad's Perry like, Mason. What do we, which is so What do we know about Perry Mason? We know he's a lawyer, right? That's about he, it, right? right he's right. good at lawyering. That's it. Yeah. Bef- yeah. Before that, he was a private investigator, but it's like, why even bother using the IP at that point? You know what I'm I saying? Like, yeah. I guess they just wanted to coast off of the goodwill from the Perry Mason name, but it'd be like, you know how. Um, you know how there's a show called MacGyver and they made a new one with like a younger dude, I think, right? Or mm-hmm. I don't know if that was like yeah. the earlier days of MacGyver, but but or, or a better analogy, like young Indiana Jones. Imagine if it was like young Indiana Jones, but he was like a shoe salesman. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like well, why are you calling? Why are you calling it well, Young Indiana Jones? Then you know what I'm saying? It's like uh, you know, before different... it was Indiana Jones, he had to sell some shoes. You know, I just want to show those stories. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I mean, I think I believe the show was based on a book series, if I recall correctly. Um, 
They, it goes he, into backstory. He is not a, a lawyer in the show, though. He's a private he investigator. He's not right? a lawyer. Well, he's right. a former, he's like a disgraced lawyer. He's very down and out. Like, everything about his life is crap. Like, a good noir detective. Like, everything is shit for him. Um, so, I, I kind of dig those characters. Just down and out detectives. Gimme, 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 gimme. Give and he's I love very that. much that. I love the idea of like somebody defending the young Indiana Jones <laughs> shoes show about, you know, like what you think that Indiana Jones was doing Indiana Jones stuff when he was young. No, he had to make a, li- he was working at a shoe but store. Where did the snake <laughs> thing come from? Where did the snake thing come from? Come on. Where'd he get the jacket and stuff? You know, hat. Yeah. yeah. That happens later. We're in the shoe period. <laughs> this is the shoe period of his life where he sold shoes. Um, one thing I will say about the show, by the way, it is beautiful. It is drop dead gorgeous. I it doesn't feel like it's not going for traditional noir style, but there is like a lot of great use of light and shadow. It's just like a very good looking, colorful show at times, but it leans into the noir idea of uh, focusing on shadows. Um, so I, I watch it just for that too. It is a very good looking thing to watch when I'm tired. It is um, dare I say a dad show. So yeah, all right. Yeah, he's, well, he's you right. can tell about the dead baby at the beginning. It's a total <laughs> dead, dead show. Yeah. It's also, also, World War One, World War One flashbacks. He is a wounded soldier. He is right. PTSD. He has everything. Yeah. Uh, that's Perry Mason. It's on HBO Max. Devinder, anything else you've been watching? Also, want to throw a shout out to Taste the Nation with Padma Lakshmi, which is on Hulu right now. There are so many food shows and so many like travely type food shows. This is one uh, hosted by Padma Lakshmi, set in the U.S., and it's all about how immigrant foods make up the tapestry of American food. So it goes into the history of like how did burritos become such a big thing? It goes into you know Indian food in New York, which wasn't a huge thing you know up until the '60s and major immigration waves. It even goes into like the the Gullah community in South Carolina and Georgia. So she's exploring small things and very big things. Everybody knows. I think um, you know she's a great food writer and a great food personality. And seeing her talk about these things, I'm a sucker for any story that's really giving us a sense of like how immigrants contributed to America. And I think the show is doing a great job of that. So check it out. It's on Hulu right now. Let's taste the nation with Pop and Lakshmi. Uh, and I've heard that that uh, show's pretty fun. So uh, yeah. Jeff, in addition to Game Master, anything else you've been watching? Yeah, I also have been uh, checking out a sort of travel-y show. Uh, my wife and I, we... Before we had kids, one of the things we love to do is travel. And uh, actually, that's probably our our shared love. Our, our biggest shared love is traveling. And uh, we haven't been able to do that really since we had kids. And since we had kids, one of the things we liked to do is to go to open houses, even though we weren't in the market for a oh, house. Yeah. We, we just love going to thing. open houses. Yeah. Isn't that great? Going and seeing houses on display and like checking out like, ooh, where would we, what would we do if we lived here? You know, how would this be? And what we, what do we like and what we don't like? We just, we, we do that on a weekend. We'd take, we'd take our kids and we'd go to an open house and we'd walk around. It was lovely. Well, can't do that anymore either. So we have found a, uh, really the perfect show for us right now in these times where sometimes at night or on the weekend, I just want to sit down and not be stressed about anything, not be taxed in any way, not be, not have my mind challenged. I mean, I love a great show. I love a great hour drama or a, a challenging, interesting half hour comedy even, but man, there are sometimes I just want to sail away. And, uh, Netflix has a show called the world's most extraordinary homes that has really scratched that itch. And, uh, my wife and I are loving it. It is 
I think a full step above uh, any kind of HGTV version, which I think has it, it, their own charms. Clearly, I've I've watched my fair share of HGTV over the years, uh, but there's a, a level of fluff and kind of shallowness with the HGTV, in my opinion. And I think that this kind of goes a, a level down, a level deeper. Um, the world's most extraordinary homes has an actual architect going around. At, at every episode, he sits down and uh, sketches the the home that they're looking at or the homes that they're looking at and explains what makes them extraordinary and what the what the architect perhaps was attempting to uh, accomplish with that design. And it, it really kind of takes it seriously. It's a little, more, I think, a little more grown up than your typical HGTV show. Uh, and there are really wonderful episodes all over the world. There's a there's a Japan episode that's really great. There's a uh, India episode. There's a Switzerland episode. It's it's all over the place and uh, beautifully shot and just some jaw dropping architecture. So I, I'm a big fan of architecture personally. That's the world's most extraordinary homes, and it's on Netflix. Yeah, uh, and then uh, the only other thing I want to mention is um, a friend of mine, uh, Danish. I think you know him well as well, Dave, right? You, yep. you guys are friends. Yeah. Uh, recommended um, a YouTube channel to me that has also served a similar function of the lovely, um, restful, peaceful uh, viewing that lets me sort of unwind and relax and feel good about the world for a little while at the end of the night. I've gotten really into this YouTube channel called Spiritual Unfoldment with John Butler. Uh, Danish introduced me to this uh, in the context of a uh, uh, an edit of some of this YouTube channel into a, uh, they called it the unintentional ASMR, uh, because this fella, John Butler's voice is quite soothing in a very ASMR way. Uh, he's a very old British fellow, and he talks barely above a whisper, and he's somebody that's been meditating for decades of his life and has a very grounded, um, I think, Zen view of the world and uh, speaks about meditation, speaks about the the virtues of work and focus and um, stripping away the unessential. And it's been uh, a lovely, lovely thing for me to consume in at night. Sometimes my family goes to sleep and I'll just put him on and listen to his voice and think about what he has to say. It, it is something I would highly recommend to anybody that needs a bit of a respite from the crazy world we're in now. Spiritual Unfoldment with John Butler. And it is on YouTube, right? Correct. All right. Well, that's what we've been watching this week. Before we move on, uh, we got to thank all the people who donated to the podcast this week. And uh, there were a lot of donors this week. So I want to thank everyone for donating. And I'm going to try to charge through these names. I'm sorry if I go a little bit faster than usual. But here we go. Thanks to Michael Zhang, Rex Chen, Phil Moniz, Jorge Albor, David McGrath, James Harper, Chris Santongo, Ryan Robertson, Mark Hearn, Mark Hearn, William Selecki, Brian Herrero, Noah Wentz, Overrated Records from Orlando, Florida, Scott Ebert, Digital, Divide and Conquer, Jorge Jimenez, Daniel Cameron from Ventura, California, with a very generous donation. Thanks to Stephen Garrity and Michael from Germany, who writes, Longtime listener, love the show. Last week's episode was a real treat. Thanks for the well-needed laughs at a time like this. Maybe Jeff can spend the money towards finally earning his degree from the prestigious YouTube Creator Academy. It's mm. never too late to learn, even at the dad movie stage of your life. Stay safe can and greetings from Germany. 
Good word. Wise words. Wise words. I will, uh, I will look into er finally earning my degree so I can stop being such a pretender. <laughs> David Fine, Cooper Coons, Nico Pintar, David Didier, who writes... Hey guys, big fan of your work since I started listening in 2015. Thank you for helping me get through endless commutes, plane flights, and shifts at work. I'm donating this week after your discussion about the best works of the 21st century, and I have a nomination. Earlier this month, uh, July 2020, was the third anniversary of 17776, or What Football Will Look Like in the Future, a serialized speculative fiction multimedia narrative by John Boyce. Uh, John is one of my favorite writers, period, and his work on the history of the Seattle Mariners from earlier this year uh, got a shout-out in IndieWire and Inside Hook and is a beautiful look into what we love about sports, how he chose to consume narratives, and what that says about humanity. 17776 is even better, in my opinion. Without spoiling anything, it's by far the most unique world-building in anything I've come across, and the way it dissects its themes and ideas about its future uh, through a modern lens, I've found just as entertaining as the first time I went through it. Have any of you heard of this? Seventeen seventy six. No, but I'm going no. to watch it this week. I'm so intrigued. Well, it's a. It's not a thing you watch. It's a uh, online kind of digital media experience. Ah, okay. So uh, I think it's at sbnation.com, but just Google seventeen seven seventy six. So it's like. Have 70, you seen it? Uh, I haven't. Uh, I, like basically, it was a, a thing where I heard tons of people talking about it a few years ago. And then I started it and I was like, this seems like it's a lot of work. <laughs> and I, and I, didn't, I didn't get through it, but uh, maybe I will now because of, uh, of this donation. So, um, but remember like a few years ago when like interactive articles were like a huge thing online? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. And there's yeah. all this like uh, things would come at you at the screen and like. Yeah, because everybody uh, it, was going to be reading all their things on the iPad, so it had to have <laughs> multimedia components, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, So it's like one of those one of those dealies, but uh, anyway, we also got a donation from uh, Matilda Sodabaka, who writes, Dear Dave, Jeff, and Devendra, I'd like to make this donation in the name of my ex-boyfriend, current good friend, Axel Berger Gustafsson. And let me just say, there's going to be some other... Icelandic terms, I think, in this email that I'm going to mess up. So here we go. Axel Berger Gustafsson, who turns 29 on Wednesday, July 22nd. He introduced me to the podcast back in 2015, and you became the first podcast I started listening to regularly. We had such fun times driving from Reykjavik to Keflavik and back, listening to you guys discuss the latest film we'd seen. It truly became part of the movie-going experience to hear you talk about it. Although we no longer live in the same country, he is in Iceland, I myself am in Finland, we're good friends to this day and often discuss the film cast. He's especially fond of David's recommendations and sensibilities. We also both greatly enjoy Jeff's limericks, so keep him coming. Hope you all stay safe in the shithole that is the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Axel is currently uh, in a long-distance relationship with an American girl, and sadly, they haven't been able to see each other in ages. Mentioning that might bum him out on his birthday. Okay, so actually, maybe I should delete this part. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, definitely leave that in. Okay. That's amazing. And then, <laughs> sorry, uh, didn't mean to mention that. Happy uh, birthday, though. Seriously, happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday, Axel. And then um, Matilda writes this phrase uh, that I'm going to butcher, but she says, Til Haminju Meo Alfmalio, Axel? I have no idea what if I said any of that correctly. Uh, Iceland, by the way, a country that has handled the coronavirus pretty well compared to Yeah, the let's... Can we... Can we come come to your place, guys? Can we <laughs> can we uh, over? That's celebrate the we uh, Axel's yeah. birthday at Matilda's uh, in Iceland? <laughs> yeah, that would be yes, that would be please. awesome. Yeah. Uh, this email, this email, and donation and message was very touching because it's like uh, the the slash film cast has 
has connected these people even after a romantic relationship, which I just thought, yeah. wow, we we have that power. So uh, I'm I'm very grateful for the message and hope Axel has a happy birthday and thanks so much for the donation, Matilda. If you are uh, wanting to donate to us, go to paypal.me slash filmcast. That's paypal.me slash the word filmcast or go to slash film.com, click on the slash filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side, on the side of the page. Never donate if it in any way causes you any hardship or takes away from other causes you think more worthy. But if you want to throw some cash our way, that's the way to do it. And of course, if you want to support us for zero dollars, just go to the Apple Podcast link. Leave us a star rating. It takes five seconds to do that. Five seconds for free. No money. Just to help us out. Thank you so much for those who have done that, as well as for those who've donated this week. Let's get to our review of Palm Springs. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Here you are, standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone. I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. That was from the trailer for Palm Springs. A new film by director Max Barbacow is written by Andy Ciara. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. When carefree Niles and reluctant maid of honor Sarah have a chance encounter at a Palm Springs wedding, things get complicated. Uh, And I'll just leave it at that. I'm going to say that um, we are going to need to talk about the premise of the movie in order to review it, even in the pre-spoiler section. Yes. I I love that the IMDb synopsis doesn't spoil it. Well, I kind of cut it off a little early. Oh, you did? Okay. It does spoil it, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. I'm very, very glad I didn't know it when I started watching this movie, and I I just hope people... I would love for people to have that that level of surprise that this movie... Wait, Jeff, do you think people shouldn't watch a trailer for something? Mm Mm-hmm. Amazing. No, no, no. Well, I mean, I, I'm just saying, if you're thinking about watching this movie and you're about to listen to us talk about it, we're going to talk about more than I knew, even in pre-spoilers. And I just, I, you know, I say this a lot, but I really, that experience of watching this movie without knowing anything about it was pretty great. So, I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. That said, I think the premise is revealed pretty quickly. So, it's not like... No, it's, it's within 10 minutes, but the yeah. first 10 minutes of the movie, it's just like... <laughs> What is Ecstasy. this? It's so Ecstasy. great. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so we are going to talk about the premise. All right. So if you don't want to know the premise, you want to go in completely fresh, then you should just pause this, come back later. Um, but we're going to talk, going to talk about the premise and then we'll have a separate spoiler section for the end of the movie. Okay. All that said, Devinder Hardwar, your thoughts on Palm Springs. Uh, I, I love this movie. I love this movie completely. <laughs> I think, uh, I love it completely. To me, it functions, um, yeah, we haven't really discussed what it is. It's basically doing the Groundhog's Day thing at this wedding, but I think it's also functioning like uh, almost like a sequel to Groundhog's Day, if not literally, then at least like thematically and how it's handling it. Like this is not, um, you know, Happy Death Day. What well, that was the name of the movie, right? The one, the other one. It we was, saw. yeah, um, yeah. It is not that. Uh, that was more of a comedy, and I feel like. This is funny, but this is a movie that goes deep into just existential dread and the, you know, kind of what we're dealing with today is just repeating 
the same day over and over again and trying to figure out what is important to us and how to value our lives when uh, you're stuck in the seeming never-ending loop uh, uh, from which there is no escape. Uh, it is a perfect movie for this moment. I think a great movie all around. I love it so much. Um, I feel like Andy Samberg, poor Andy Samberg, has not had a good run at the box office. And had this movie actually come out in theaters... I feel like it would have done pretty well. And unfortunately, once again, fate is not in his uh, on his side, which is a shame. Popstar should have been a huge hit, but it's not. Um, that that love, said, according yeah. to Hulu, it's like one of their most successful movies ever. They have not released numbers, but... I'm it, sure. It, I'm sure. I, I want to get this guy box office success. Like, I followed him for so long. I am such a fan. Uh, Lonely Island fan, you know, for life, especially after Popstar... Um, I feel like this movie does a great job of tapping into his his like wackiness, but also his sense of vulnerability, which is a great thing he tends to balance. Like he's not just a wacky comedian guy. I feel like there's a lot of heart there. And then yeah, Kristen Milioti feels like she feels like the ringer sometimes, right? You just you throw her in to a show or a movie or something, and it's just like instant connection for the audience. I typically like seeing her in things and she is doing more than just playing like the manic pixie dream girl type thing uh, in a lot of different uh, shows. And this movie is very different. She's going through a lot of things too. So I love the entire cast. And then, uh, yeah, wonderful appearance by J.K. Simmons. I love this movie completely. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of Palm Springs? Well, Dave, <laughs> I guess you could say my thoughts about Palm Springs are best summed up in the form of a limerick. The concept is clever and neat. And it's as funny as it is sweet. But I found myself, if I found myself stuck in one day, it's good luck because I could watch Palm Springs on repeat. Hey. Nice. Eh, All that's right. a little silly one. Uh, <laughs> I agree with everything Devinder said. Uh, I think this is maybe my favorite movie this year. Uh, I'm, it, I'm it, feeling it, that too. Like very close to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the discussion. That's for sure. Um, and it's because this movie is so clever. It really thinks through the ramifications of everything. It unfolds itself in such a brilliant, lovely way. And here's the thing that's so brilliant about these movies. Groundhog Day has become a genre. I love that. I love that. These time loop ideas. It's now a subgenre that has enough movies in it to really be considered a subgenre. And this movie brings some new things to it. One of the things that's so brilliant about Palm Springs is... It breaks the rule, the fundamental rule of a Groundhog Day movie, which is you're alone. <laughs> you know? Yes, you yes. That's the fundamental rule is that you're in this thing and nobody knows you're in this thing. And what do you do? Right? Like you're all, the, the isolation, the loneliness inside this experience is fundamental to the concept Except now it isn't, right? It's it's so wonderful how it breaks that fundamental rule and becomes a romantic comedy inside the confines of something that that you wouldn't be able to have. A, I mean, obviously, Groundhog Day is a romantic comedy as well. But the idea being is is there's it, it strips away that isolation and yet it's still about isolation. It's still about secrets and not knowing and not being able to say what you want to say all these wonderful things and it has um internal rules that are really well articulated and consistent it's very funny as i said it it reveals itself in such 
surprising and fun ways. Uh, it's got twists uh, around every corner of, of just new information that it keeps doling out. I love it. I love these kinds of movies. I'm, I mean, Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies ever. And this this subgenre, I love. I mean, I even really dig Happy Death Day. Uh, I think this is a fun premise. And this movie takes it in a direction that it's never really gone before to great results. I agree 100% with Devendra. This is should be watched by everybody. It's great. I agree. I, th I think it is great. I agree that it's interesting that Groundhog Day has become a genre. And I think this movie does some really interesting things uh, around the premise of A Day That Repeats Itself. The, the number one thing that I would say, and this is, again, we're talking about the premise a little bit. So this is a m very minor spoiler. But the, the thing I just thought, I, like, wow, I don't think I've ever seen this before, is meeting a character who has already been in the loop for a long time. Yeah, yeah. He is right? third like, act Groundhog's Day guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's what's so great is that it's this isn't Andy Sandberg's movie, right? Yeah. He's he's he, arguably he, he, not the protagonist, right? It's he's arguably not. He's, Kristen Milioti yeah. who's the protagonist. Yeah. I think it is. It's her Groundhog Day movie that just happens to be in the middle of somebody else's Groundhog Day movie. It's really, really <laughs> clever, right? And it's uh, it starts with Andy Sandberg, so you think you're watching his movie, but uh, right. ar arguably uh, it's uh, it's Kristen Milioti's movie. So, uh, and that alone, I just thought, wow, what a neat. What a neat way of doing that. And then you introduce, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. other components that are uh, pretty interesting as well that we can get to more in spoilers. Um, so I, I really love this movie. And I, I think that for me, the thing that really hit home is that, and many people have figured this out years ago. People, people have watched these movies and they're like, oh yeah, I get it, right? Groundhog Day movies are a metaphor for human existence. And... I, I know people have already figured that out probably, but like it wasn't until this movie that I really that really struck me. Yeah. It when is the most <laughs> existential of these. And Groundhog's Day was pretty existential too. Yeah, like that's it, right. That's this it. is well, even more movie. existential than that, right? Maybe, like, yeah, maybe it had more to do with your existence now <laughs> than it is this new movie. <laughs> we get correct, it. but it's like yeah. every day is the same. Our actions are meaningless, you know, and yeah. we're we're kind of stuck in the same situation uh with uh the people who are around us right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it also just makes you feel like, well, okay, you know, I have further thoughts, but I don't want to get into them until spoilers. But suffice to say, the movie, I think, comes out at a particularly relevant time for many of us. Um, when we are enduring the same thing over and over again, struggling to find meaning in our actions, and and like we can't even remember when this entire situation that we're in began. That's very yeah. much what the characters in this movie are struggling mm -hmm. with as well. All we know is this, yeah. Yeah, and I think well, that- and also you know, a hallmark of these movies uh, is, and I think underscores what you're saying, Dave, about this human existence and this feeling that you have, is Groundhog Day happens on Phil's, uh, you know, this horrible day, like the worst, he's, he feels like he's stuck in this place, can't get out of this horrible thing that he's doing, covering this stupid event that he hates, and he doesn't want to be there and he doesn't want to do that stuff. And it makes him feel bad about the world. And what better other place to do that than someone else's wedding? You know what I mean? I love like it's the other perfect place where you're just like, I'm forced to think about things that I don't want to think about. And I I'm here. You, sometimes you're there with a date you don't want to be at a wedding with, because then you're like, they're getting married. Do we have to get married? Like the all of that, you know, the the discomfort, especially like 
a destination Palm Springs <laughs> wedding. It's just so perfect that it, Jeff, uh, Jeff, can, can you tell us a little bit about Palm Springs? Yeah, tell us about like again. Yeah. I asked Devendra when we watched King of Staten Island, like what is Staten Island? <laughs> what is that you know location in the popular imagination? Like uh, what are the connotations of Palm Springs? If I ask you to like yeah. word associate with Palm Springs, well, All you I have know come is movies. To, yeah, you have come to the right place. I I did a play in Palm Springs for several months at a time. So I lived, in, actually lived in a hotel in Palm Springs during that period. And I will tell you, uh, Palm Springs is a lovely place for people to go to for a weekend, which is the only reason that it exists right, is for people right. to go to. It is about a billion degrees in the shade all the time. It's the desert. It really is the desert. Uh, human beings were not intended to be there. And there's one one road, really, in the whole place that's worth going to. It has all the restaurants and bars and clubs and things that you would do there. And beyond that, and, and it's it's it, it's a place that exists for bachelorette parties and uh, places to go for a weekend to rent an Airbnb and be in a pool and drink. And that's about it. And the idea of being in that place for all of eternity, you know, I'm sure there's some people listening to this that live there and are <laughs> upset at me now, but honestly, that's really what it is. You know, oh, yeah. uh, it, it really is that having, having lived there myself for a few months, uh, it is, uh, it is the perfect setting for one of these kind of groundhog day experiences. Cause it's just surreal and weird and oppressively hot mm. and you don't want to be there. And you're uncomfortable all the time. And yeah, it's nice to hang out for a weekend at a, at a hotel or an Airbnb or something. But the idea of spending all of eternity in it is just perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, um, we all love the movie. Let's dive into spoilers for Palm Springs starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So right off the bat, one of the things I want to mention that I really like about this movie is the J.K. Simmons character. The idea that like so there's good. another dude <laughs> in the time loop. Just running we, wild. We, yeah. We've already seen kind of movies that have multiple people in the time loop, like um uh Russian doll is an example of that. Um and there's other movies that I'm not gonna say, but like Suffice to say, we've seen two people in a time loop before, but three people in a time loop? I love the idea, and I also love the idea that he's, like, in another location, so he only comes by sometimes, right? <laughs> yeah. When he, like, Irvine. when he gives a crap. <laughs> so, right. so great. Yeah. It's so great. It's really, his really arc, clever. His arc is, br like, his character has an arc, which uh -huh. is lovely. He yeah. has the film arc from uh, Groundhog Day. Like, that's it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess. But he, I mean, I, it, he, the lovely place that he gets to by the end, which is sort of acceptance. And I mean, he starts out mm -hmm. at the party. The reason that they he they even hang out and party together is because he hates marriage. He hates his own marriage. <laughs> and he gets by the end. He loves his marriage. He invests in his marriage and mm -hmm. wants to be with his kids. And, you know, even though the one is pissing in the back, it's so perfect. Um, but I also love that uh, um, that he's the perfect explanation like he's functional in the plot as to why Andy Samberg didn't pull other people through the cave yes right yes. you know like it, there's needs to be an explanation why he doesn't just pull other people in with him right and that serves that that purpose it's like oh god look what happened when I when I pulled someone in with me <laughs> right so it's 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 just beautiful writing I think yeah 
Yeah, I think a lot of it is is really nice. The, another thing that I thought was <laughs> kind of clever is this moment when like Kristen Milioti is first grilling him about like, tell me about what the, the rules are here. And he's like, you know, how many people have you slept with here? And he's like, well, that actually takes quite a bit of work. And I'm <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. trying to coast at this point. And it's just like, it's so great. Yeah, that makes, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. You know, that like, easy living. You, you probably yeah. could convince someone to sleep with you in one day, but like, it would take a lot of work. And well, it builds doing- on, it builds on Groundhog Day. He's like, uh, I always like to give a little uh, <laughs> toast to world peace. You know, all the work yeah. that he does in yes. finding out all the triggers that get her to a place. You know, I, I, it totally builds on the knowledge we already know from other movies. You right. know, it's so great. Um, I don't know. Oh, but also, random shout out. Uh, th- that family's uh, like uh, Kristen Milioti's eye- like family's eyebrow game in the movie is oh my god uh, pretty intense, right? Yeah. Well, you put um, in Peter Gallagher. You put in, in you got Peter Gallagher in there. You got yeah. Peter Gallagher in there, and um, uh, Camila Mendez uh, from Camila uh, Mendez. Yeah, from Riverdale. Right. Like, th- those are her, like, those are her family members, and it's like wow, that is a strong eyebrow it's game. Crazy. Um, <laughs> so. Anyway, that's your review of the movie. My, Strong <laughs> eyebrow game. <laughs> Strong eyebrow game. Four and a half stars. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, th- the only thing I wasn't that much of a fan of was the sciency ending. Um, I thought, okay, this is either going to be one of those moral quandaries where they need to redeem themselves from a, a, a sort of metaphysical soul perspective, morality perspective, like Groundhog Day. They try that, uh, mm-hmm. right? They try that, but it's like then they went with the sciency route, which I just thought. Uh, my understanding is they actually talked to physicists. They're thanked in the in the credits, um, <laughs> but it, the movie gives it like I, I never felt like the movie took it that seriously. You know what I mean? Which is fine. I, but I, I, don't I, know. I felt it. it was kind of fun in in the sort yeah. of like in the last fifty minutes, this movie goes full uh, The Martian. And it just science its way out of the yeah, problem. That, that part was cool. That part was cool it's when fun. she basically gets a PhD uh, <laughs> at the end of the movie. That was so that awesome. was interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I always fantasized about mm-hmm. with Groundhog Day is like how he learns the piano, you know, he decides he's going to learn the piano and, and French or whatever at the end. And you feel like if you had all of eternity, yeah, why not add some skills to your repertoire? And I love that she's just like, okay, I'm going to, you know, she's like in, on Zoom calls with science professors. It's so great. It's such a right, brilliant. Right. And the, the, mechanic, the mechanic of them getting out. Yeah, that's to me, that felt original. And that's not like, that's not the crux of the ending, right? The crux of the ending is them dealing with their own shit. And that is basically Groundhog's Day 2. Um, but, you know, she's dealing with, like, the fact that she did something awful and has to live with that or find a way to live with that. And Andy Samberg's character is really interesting because he's just, like, he's given up. He's, like, life is meaningless. It's almost like a zen, like, acceptance. You know, it's it's nihilistic in a way, but it's meaningless because he's not he cannot attach to anybody too. So there is clearly some growing he needs to do and the acceptance of like him meeting JK Simmons at the, at the end, figuring out what he wants to do and taking that sacrifice, that step with her. There's like, I didn't write down the line, but what he says to her at the cave is like, well, you know, we're, we're going to do this in if, if I blow, I wouldn't want to live a life without you or something like that. And yeah, I found that all really compelling. Yeah. There's there's this moment at the end when he's giving he's speechifying to her and he's saying like yeah is it weird that the the person I pulled into the time loop happened to be someone who I really love yes but it's also weird that I'm in a time loop yes. it reminds it reminded me of this Onion headline I saw from years ago uh, called 18 year old miraculously finds soulmate in hometown um, which <laughs> he's so uh, perfect which I mean it's, it is it's also like. 
the thing is, a lot of us are uh, trapped is too strong of a word, but uh, have the opportunity to spend a lot of time with our loved ones these days, right? And I think it's like uh, a situation like the pandemic slash a time loop is a really good proving ground for your love of your family members, <laughs> yeah. right? Test, it yeah. really, like, it yeah. really let, let is an amazing test. It really tests um, everything. Uh, me moving out of New York felt like breaking my time loop in New York. Like it was, it was <laughs> a hard, hard thing that took months of planning and a ton of effort and all my money. Basically, it took everything. Now you're in a new time loop. Though. I'm in a new time loop, but I'm in the I'm in the end. J.K. Simmons time loop. Now I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. this is great. This is actually pretty <laughs> chill. I can hang out here. Uh, the world is still on fire, but. Um, I'm I'm feeling better and more content about where I am now <laughs> compared to being stuck in an apartment in New York and my baby not having like not be able to go out and do anything. So yeah, yeah. I I, f- I feel that in this movie a lot. Can I just briefly tell you guys the experience I had of watching this movie for the first 15 minutes of it, please? Uh, which knowing zero about it, I assumed based on the title card that came up when I selected it on Hulu that it was going to be a fun Andy Sandberg romantic comedy type movie. And it was for the first 10 minutes. And it was, it was lovely. It was, there was kind of a wackiness to it, like his weird aloofness Mm -hmm. in the pool. And then there's that great scene at the, you know, he, he, uh, he goes with his girlfriend to this wedding and then he shows up wearing completely inappropriate clothes. (laughs) And you're like, wow, this guy's, kind of a douche, but I love that his sort of nonchalance, I guess that's where we are right yeah. now, you know, and uh, his girlfriend, like, you know, clearly cares about him in, in certain ways, and they're having this relationship, and then all of a sudden he starts hitting on someone who is not his girlfriend <laughs> very overtly, you know, saying a speech looking dead in her eyes from the stage, and I was like, this is a weird direction this movie is taking, <laughs> and then there is that incredible scene incredible scene where he walks over to her and yeah. uses all the other people's amazing uh, yeah. you know in uh, unintentional movements and and staggering and dance moves to like keep his eyes on her through the room and i thought what a fun funny affectation this movie just had about you know this this like sort of dream sequence-esque like mo- moment you know what a cool clever it's, it's like a buster keaton meet cute Basically, yes, yeah, it's pure. But I had no comedy. idea. Yeah. I had no idea that it was grounded in any sort of justification narratively, you know, because mm. I didn't know what kind of movie I was in at that point. I just thought, what a fun, weird, but also super weird that he's like so hitting on this girl yeah. that is clearly not his girlfriend. <laughs> uh, and then you know they go out in the in the in the woods or whatever it was, the caves, and. Uh, you're gonna have sex, you know, and then an arrow. Well, well hits by then him you'd also knowing. knew that his his girlfriend was cheating on him. So yes, right. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's accepted it. Like he's yeah. he's fine with it. Yeah, and that's that scene is amazing too. Where they're sitting there laughing. He's laughing about it, and and um and then he gets hit with the arrow, and her, uh, Kristen Milioti's uh, reaction, <laughs> where she's just like, "What the fuck? What the fuck is happening?" Like, was my reaction, you know, like it is so perfectly done because she just it's not a it's not a movie reaction. It's not a what is happening. It is losing her shit, which is exactly what a person would be doing. And it's exactly what I was doing watching the movie because I was like, what is happening in this movie right now? Uh, 
it, it was just a wonderful way to be brought in. And, and it's really what I love about the unsullied experience. You're like that, I won't trade that for anything. I love that so much. That roller coaster ride of not knowing is pure magic to me. And I, uh, I just wanted to highlight how this movie brought me on that ride. It was just wonderful. Let's talk about the ending real quick. Um, what is your interpretation of the ending? I think that on the surface level, and I'm talking about not the post credit scene, not the stinger, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the scene where you see them at the safe house and he's like, maybe I should go get my dog. You know, and <laughs> the people show up and I think they've made it to the next day, right? Yeah. 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 Turns out uh, they get home on November 8th or whatever he says. Yeah. I think they purposefully, uh, I've read interviews with the, the writer and director and they purposely left it ambiguous but i'm curious like if you guys have an interpretation is of what that being... is that ambiguous yeah i, I don't mean, see it as being particularly ambiguous no, to me it the, feels like they, they made name it a date yeah the date's important they're out yeah the um uh so here here's a quote from the director <laughs> in an interview from la times the intention was always to create an ending that was open to interpretation uh, where you could arrive at different conclusions about what had happened depending on how you were looking at the world, whether that was more optimistic or more cynical. I think we all think different things af- happen after we pull away from that pool. That's the fun of it. Whatever you want to get out of the ending, you can get out of it, end quote. Um, so, yeah, uh, they they wanted it to kind of be more open-ended. <laughs> I um, don't. And I, I feel yeah, like... No one, no one, that's not the feeling I got either. I kind of felt like, oh, they made it out. That. They made it out. Yeah. yeah. You do you do see the dinosaurs, which are the same dinosaurs that they saw on their mushroom trip earlier. Yes. Yeah. So yes. it's like, okay, is this a dream sequence or something? You know, like maybe you get that potentially. But um, I so people are saying, okay, Miliotti says like they could be dead. They could be in a different realm, but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter because they're together. I, I never got that feeling. You know, I never got that feeling because it's like, the the people the cup the family shows up at the safe house right right so it's they like should, they it should have never showed it. up right if they if they had just appeared there the next day and they're like well this is it and not say anything <laughs> yeah. about the date you know maybe then that's ambiguous by the way I uh, so okay I think we're all agreed we don't really feel the ending was that ambiguous we all think mm-hmm. they made it out of there right yeah mm-hmm. and and by the way at the end J K Simmons comes in and he talks with an Andy Samberg who's not aware of things and so I think the idea is that um, Kristen Milioti earlier on in the film left a lengthy message to J.K. Simmons explaining yes. how he could replicate her actions. Yes. Right? So just mm-hmm. making sure we all yeah. thought the same thing about that. But So then J.K. Simmons, now he can get out of there if he would like. So, and he's but, in a separate time stream where, yeah, the Andy Samberg who knows all this does not exist. So yeah. Right, right. There's also this idea of like maybe like it, this is a multiverse, right? And like every one of these days is its own separate universe, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe, and they're well, like leaping, he, yeah. He, I did. It, it did occur to me that, like, if she escapes the time loop, doesn't he wake up with a new version of her right. that he could just pull through the cave again? Yeah. And now there's a new version of her in the time loop with him again. It doesn't remember. <laughs> she doesn't remember any of the yeah. stuff that happened. But he could do go through it all. It, it's a lengthier process of re having her fall in love with him. But you know what I'm saying? Wow, well, Jeff, the, the that's, cave is uh, gone. It's pretty messed up, Jeff. Gone. It's yeah. pretty messed up what you just said. Well, but, but if he's like, I'd rather die than be in here without you, like he wouldn't be in her here without her. She, he'd wake up. She wouldn't remember the stuff they did, but then he just pulls her. He's like, hey, could you come with me to this cave? And now she's in it with him again. He's like, yeah, we, yay, we're back. You know, we're in it. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a very like uh, 
subplot in Rick and Morty from the last season that's actually very similar to what you just said. Um, but anyway, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. He probably could have done that. He probably could have done that. Um, so, all right, well, just but then, like, get- what? Who is that? Right? It's her, but she got she already got out. So there's now now. What if that one then gets out? <laughs> the the one get that gets out is Prime, and then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't think I wouldn't think too hard about it. I wouldn't think too hard about they, it. They they do blow no. up the cave, right? So that is right. It's sealed. Oh yeah, I guess that's yeah. the, I guess that's the salient point is that they blow up the cave, and so there's no. But but if he starts the day again, the new right. the cave's With there. The new cave, yeah. The anyway. cave doesn't even open until halfway through that day because it's of the true. earthquake. Yeah. Well, anyway, don't get uh, stuck in time it. loops, kids. It's trouble. <laughs> what, yeah. what, one final one final shout out. Uh, before we wrap this up, which is one of the things I love about movies is when a character picks up their phone and you see the face of the phone mm-hmm. and what is on the face of the phone tells you a lot about the character. That's one of my favorite things about movies. Sure. I remember watching like La La Land and like Emma Stone's character picks up her phone and it's all like uh, cracked. You know, it's like has the splintery uh, glass on the front of it. And it's like, okay, this yeah. is a character who like broke their phone, didn't have enough money to actually fix it. Uh, and in this movie, Kristen Milioti picks up her phone and it uh, it's at 19% battery. And it's like, yeah. oh, she didn't, A, she didn't charge her phone because she wasn't in her room that night. Um, yeah. But uh, it's all, it's, it also feels like someone who very well could have just left her phone to die, um, uh, you know, on, on the, uh, the bedside counter. But then mm-hmm. I'm also thinking to myself, what else could you do? To show a character other than the the battery life and also the picture and also whether the glass is cracked, I think it's a really limited storytelling well, device. <laughs> one thing that, that other movies have done, which I think is yeah. clever, is when a character you know calls and the image of that character yes. that or what you the know name the movie, of it, it is the what name the, of yeah. the character is not their name; it's some right. other thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, like what's that's the clever. movie? Oh, it's um, uh, catastrophe. Like through the entire run of the the show, catastrophe. His wife is like London hookup or something like that. <laughs> yes, but he's now yes. now married to her and has children with her. You know. Yeah. Well, now now it has sentimental value. I, I yeah, think the exactly. choice of phone could be something too. Uh, I remember. I think it was Westworld. Um, for some reason, the bad guys had like the red phone that nobody owns except. Uh, or no, no, that was Silicon Valley. It was the the douchebag billionaire guy that kind of invests and helps them out. But he he had the red phone. That only a douchebag mm. billionaire would own. Russ you know, Hanneman, something Russ like Hanneman. that. Yeah, Russ yeah, Hanneman. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a, a Vertu phone if you know what <laughs> if you know what those are. Yes, I think I think that's what they're called, right? Vertu phones. That's what they used. To, I don't think they're around yeah. anymore. Yeah, the, the ones that are like Vertu gold Vertu? or whatever. Huh? Nothing. <laughs> okay. Way that over. That is our review. That, that is our review of Palm Springs. Uh, we all had a great time with it. Lots to dive into and. Uh, the movie and the plot of the film are a perfect mm-hmm. metaphor for our times. And hopefully they make you appreciate um, who you are going through quarantine with because for sure. we're all stuck in this. We have been for months and we will be for many months more. So we all want to be JK Simmons in this movie. Basically. Yeah, okay. uh, well, one quick thing I do want to say, I think it's, it's interesting. The movie didn't fully resolve what Christine Miliati's character did, right? Like she, her whole speech and thing to her sister is basically passing it off and not making a scene at the wedding and being supportive of her sister and telling, you know, the fiance to not screw up again. Uh, But that's something she'll have to live with once she moves on like that. It's not in the movie, but that's going to be a major thing that they're going to have to deal with as a family eventually. 
Well, I, I think that scene was meant to be like, hey, she fucked up, um, but now she's tur- she's left her old ways, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she she also, we can did, all just forget about it. But she honesty, also did man. do the. Well, she did do the version where she yes. caused the scene. Yeah, right. Yeah, she yeah. tried that version, and it, uh, it didn't, didn't do work. Anything. Didn't yeah. work. Yeah. There was also this moment where, like, the first time she does it, she says, "Hey, we need to redeem ourselves morally," and so she talks to her sister about what happened. Like, the, it, it's the moment of the wedding, and she goes and she whispers something in her sister's ear. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, she first picks up the microphone like right. she's going to say to everybody say and then looks, then she's like, looks what? at no. Andy Sandberg and goes, ah, I'm going to just whisper it to myself. Yeah, no, not a good, not a good idea. And I think yeah. my, my sense is she was just telling her, she confessed to her sister what happened, right? Yes. My, yeah. Yeah. my interpretation yes. of that scene. Yeah. You see her actually say, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Interesting. And she goes, you're joking, right? And uh, yeah. She goes, uh, no, I'm not joking. And she turns around and leaves. <laughs> yeah, but interesting uh, how, how... That's one of the things I like about the movie, too, is you have three different characters mm-hmm. who are going through the time loop, and they're dealing with it in very different ways. And yeah. uh, that's something we don't usually see. So, really love the movie. Check it out. It's on Hulu, Palm Springs. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Be sure to check out his YouTube channel. We'll link to it in the show notes. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. Until then, Jeff Canada, where can find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have uh, some other shows if you're interested. I do a video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And I do The Dungeon Run, which is my long-form epic Dungeons and Dragons show. You don't have to know anything about Dungeons and Dragons to enjoy it. It's just long term, long form fantasy storytelling. Super proud of it. You can find it um, anywhere you get audio podcasts by searching for The Dungeon Run. You can find it on YouTube as a video show by searching for The Dungeon Run there. Or you can watch it live Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. How about you, Devendra? You can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Also, check me out on the Engadget podcast, which I'm co-hosting now. All right. And um, check out my other podcast, culturallyrelevantshow.com, culturallyrelevantshow.com. Just had its one-year anniversary, and um, really appreciate everyone who's checked out that show over the course of last year. Uh, we just reached 300,000 downloads, which is not very much for a year, but you know, it's something. And I'm really grateful for everyone who supported that. Also, I have a new podcast with John Robinson called truth versus Hollywood. And it compares real life events to the movies based on them. Check that out at truth versus Hollywood, uh, on any of your podcast apps. Okay. Next week, we're going to be reviewing first cow, first cow, which I've heard is a really solid, uh, movie that is available right now on video on demand. So, first cow is uh, the movie next week. You can you can buy it and uh, rent it, and that's what we're going to be talking about here on the Slash Filmcast. So, that's all for today. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, wear a mask. See you later.